Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. While you're standing, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I want to read beginning with verse 1 down a little ways. Ask God's blessing upon his word. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went to on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahunim and the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons, for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. God bless you. you may be seated. Brother Harvey Victory, my wonderful friend, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. God bless you. Thank you very much. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, you know, every one of us sometime or another have had our backs to the wall. Now, what did you do that time when your back was really to the wall? You didn't know where what to do or where to turn, and uh, probably somebody here tonight that way, I, or the Lord would not have impressed this upon my heart. You're making decisions, you're trying to get everything in order and see what the Lord would have for you. I just kind of feel like that the Lord is going to help all of us here tonight. Amen. You know, that was quite, quite a trip that David had taken. Here he had gone and battled and defeated the enemy and his soldiers right with him. And they were looking forward to get him back home and be with their families. And just as they topped the hill to go down in the valley where uh, their families were, they saw it on fire. Everything they had was on fire. And uh, the Bible said that the men wept until they had no more strength. And then they picked up stones. It was going to stone David because he had taken them out on the battlefield. The enemy had come and taken their wives and their children's captive 
They didn't know where they were. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know if they were still alive. So David was in a strait betwixt two, and there's only one direction that he could turn. Could not turn to the left for help, nor to the right for help, but he could look up and he could turn the right direction. And the Bible said he was greatly distressed, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I've had wonderful friends through the years, pastoring people that like Brother Harvey Victory, one of my very best friends through the years, and I uh, have really enjoyed friendship. And then there were times, you know, I needed a friend. I could always go to someone that was my friend, and it was so nice to be able to confide in them and trust them, and receive the strength that I needed. But there are times when a friend can't help you in certain circumstances. There's only one that can help you, and that's the one who never fails, never lost a battle, the same yesterday, today, and forever a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a present help in the time of need. So wonderful that we have that kind of friend. Now it was said of Abraham in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was called the friend of God. I have known that he's always been my friend, but I have prayed, Lord, let me be your friend. And if I could reach that place where I knew that I was his friend, then I think I could get along a whole lot better in this world. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. And I was raised that way, fortunately, a father and a mother that prayed every day. The old family Bible was read every day. And in fact, uh, that's the only thing that my dad left to all of the eight children was an old worn-out Bible, the one that I have uh, over a 100 years old, and I've got it put up safely, and we'll give it to one of my children. But uh, I saw him by the hour sitting, reading that Bible. My younger brother and I play around and wrestled around, but it never, ever disturbed him. He was so engrossed with the Word of God, and he lived the Word. He loved the Word. He taught the Word. No preacher like C.P. Kilgore, and built 17 churches, baptized. I think they say he probably has a record of having baptized at least 10,000 people in Jesus' name. And so I have a rich, wonderful heritage. I ought to be a lot better man than I am. I ought to be a lot better preacher than I am. 
I ought to see more results. And I thank God he allowed me to pastor a church where people were willing to work with me when we wanted to start other churches around the city. We have uh, 10 Spanish churches that started out of our church. And we have a Filipino church that we're starting. And one gypsy church, no other one, Jesus' name, gypsy, they received the Holy Ghost in our church. I baptized them, dedicated their children, and a great preacher. I deeply appreciate Brother Joe Miller and that gypsy church. I think we're the only one in Pentecost that has a gypsy church. And uh, we have five African-American churches. So you can see that I am a wealthy preacher, not in money, but in people. Amen. Praise the Lord. I have truly been blessed of the Lord. And so it's a wonderful thing to know that we have friends in this life. But our friends many times can only go so far. And then they have to stop. And then we have to have that friend that's closer than a brother. There were two things, three things actually, that was important to David at that hour when his back was to the wall. Number one, he remembered past victories. Amen. He remembered how God delivered him from the sheep and from the lion and from the bear when they were attacking his flock of sheep. Nothing in his hand, just waded right into it, destroyed the animals, fierce animals. He remembered that victory. He remembered the great victory of conquering the giant who towered over everybody, threatened everybody, wasn't afraid of anyone. And when he roared, send me a man, they fell in their trenches. They were afraid. And David, when he came upon the scene to check on his brothers at the suggestion of the father, he could not believe what he was seeing. And uh, wanted to know, what's going on here? Well, they got upset with him, and, and they accused him of just wanting to come and see the battle. David said, is there not a cause? And here you're laying in the trenches. You're afraid to do anything. Is there not a cause that you represent? So he told the king, I'll go fight the giant. He was a little over five feet tall. And, uh, and this giant soared nine feet and two inches. And here this little David was getting ready to go fight. Well, the king said, if you got to go, you better take my sword and my shield. And uh, insisted, and David put it on, and, and he started out to the battle, and he was not used to that kind of a shield, and uh, he went and turned around and gave the shield back and gave the sword back and he had a sling with five smooth stones. But that worked killing a bear, 
work killing a lion. He had no doubt that the same thing would work killing the giant. We've got to remember past victories to be able to keep going. Amen. Brother Vicar can tell you times when my back was to the wall and I needed some strong person to come and hold my hands up. Never one time did Brother Vickery or those brethren ever let me down or ever brought a message of doom or discouragement. They were there to help me. But I can remember some of those victories. I remember one night I got a call in the middle of the night and uh, a, a fine lady had come and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And uh, when she went home and, and she was happy, and she told her husband about it. He got fighting mad. He said, I didn't marry you to be a Pentecostal. I don't want you to have any part of that. I demand that you never go back to that church. Church time came. The next week, she was right back there. And uh, finally, one night in the middle of the night, he called me. What kind of a blankety-blank preacher are you to break up my home? And I said, sir, I don't understand. He said, well, you have my wife down there crying and praying. And I tell you what I'm going to do. The next time she comes to that church, I'm going to go right down to that front there and grab her by the hair of the head. I'm going to drag her out of there. And I'm going to find you and beat you within an inch of your life. And can you believe I said, well, come on. I'm really not that brave. But uh, I wanted him to know that he couldn't bluff his way through this situation. Well, he never did show up. Did you know that lady was so faithful and true to God that she has two sons that are preaching and a daughter that married a preacher because she just stayed true and happy and steadfast and uh, didn't waver? Could not, be, could not be kept from going to the house of God. She had to remember that experience many, many times, and it certainly paid off for her. I don't know what experience all of you have had. I do know most of you have had the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues, enjoying the blessing of the Lord through the years. That is a wonderful thing to remember. Amen. I remember all those good times, and God blessed us and helped us and, and kept us going. Fifty-five years I have been a preacher, uh, I mean a pastor in the church in Houston, until the last 10 years, i got someone else that thinks they can do a better job. So I don't think so, but don't tell him I said so, my son. So I remember past victories. Now when I come to the end of my road, 
I can draw the strength that I received from the things that God did for me in the past. Amen. And then David remembered the promise of God. When he saw those men with stones in their hands, they were going to try to kill him. He said, they can't kill me. God promised that I was going to be a king in Israel and wear the crown someday, and I haven't been there yet, so they can't kill me. The promise of God tells me that I'm going to make it, and everything's going to be all right. Amen. Standing on the promises. My, my, my. When you stand on the promises of this word of God, and David went 13 years from the time that he was uh, called until the time that he was crowned, that during that time he had run for his life most of the time. Saul was jealous. He hated him, wanted to kill him, tried his best, threw javelins at him, and David just kept on singing. God had given him a promise. I don't care what you are going through. If you're filled with the Spirit, you can stand on the promise of God. Amen. He told his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. What a promise. Woo. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want to go where he is. I want to be where Jesus is. Amen. I remember a good experience in the past. My boy somehow was afraid of the dark all of his life and uh, took it after his mother. She was scared half to death in the dark, and uh, she squeezed me till I hollered Capro. Not really. But anyhow, <laughs> he, would, he would do fine until we'd turn the light off at night. And when we'd turn the light off, he would start uh, whining and crying, and, and I'd have to threaten him and... and uh, then in the middle of the night, I'd feel uncomfortable in the bed, and I thought, uh-oh, Jimbo has got in bed with us. But he learned to get in on his mother's side because when he got in on my side, I would take him right back and sometimes turn the light on. But I, I was a little mean at times. That didn't hurt me to... You know, to see him uh, happy and not afraid, I'm ashamed of myself tonight, but uh, not ashamed enough that I'd want to go back and do everything over. But I do remember a lot of good things of the past. Well, he would beg me to let him sleep with me, and we went to camp meeting. We got us a room. I made him a little a pallet on the floor right beside me where I could reach down and touch him. And he thought that was real neat until we turned the light out. 
When he, we turned the light out, he started crying softly. And, and I said, now, son, if you don't stop crying, I want you to know I'm going to have to punish you. So in between his little crying, he said, Daddy, do you love me? And you know, when you're aggravated, it's kind of hard to, to say I love you. And, and I said, you know that I love you. He said, well, Dad, if you love me like you say you do, you wouldn't want me to be afraid, would you? And I kept my word. I didn't let him in bed. But you know what I did? I rolled off of that bed. I slept on that hard floor the rest of the night because I wanted him to know that I loved him and he could count on his father. There have been times in the middle of the night, the night of despair, the night of trouble, the night of heartache, the night of sorrow, sorrow, disappointments, I would say, Lord, if I could just get where you are. But he says, I'll do better than that. I'll come right down where you are. Amen. Thank God. And then when he would bless me, everything would be all right. I'm just simply telling you here tonight, you can trust in a God by remembering what he did for you in times past and the promise that he's given. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. What a promise we have. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just feel that there's somebody here tonight you need to claim the promises of God. Get hold of it like never before. God promised this church that you could have revival. You haven't seen the one you want to see. You've had a lot of good things happen, but a revival is coming. It's long overdue. It's coming to this church. Hallelujah. I believe that you believe it. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Blessed be the Lord. And because David was willing to encourage himself by remembering how God stood with him and uh, had promised him and that promise had not been fulfilled yet, he was able to encourage himself. I want you to remember that the next time you're fighting a hard battle. We went through one of the hardest trials I ever went through. The devil attacked our family, and uh, I didn't know which way to turn. I was heartbroken more for them than I was for what was happening, and they didn't deserve that. And, And my back was to the wall, and I found myself in the middle of the night on the floor crying and praying and asking God to help me and and, uh, then one night about two or three o'clock in the morning I had wept and cried and, and God spoke a scripture to my heart that I had never remembered reading and uh, I quoted it 
by the inspiration of God. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. I lay on that floor and the tears were dried and I started rejoicing and I got up and I said, Now, devil, you have talked to me for a long time. I'm getting ready to talk to you now. Amen. Micah 7 and 8, rejoice not against me. I said, you have rejoiced against me, but I'm going to laugh last because I'm going to get up off of this floor. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to fault you like I've never fought you before, and I'm going to see victories that I've never seen before. Woo! We have five missionary families across the world, and they prayed through right at our altars. God gave them a divine call. What more could a pastor want than to see 124 preachers out of my church? And I, have, I preach for one of them every weekend, three different ones uh, four or five weeks ago. And I felt good. I felt strength. And I, I, I really didn't understand the extra strength. But it was because I enjoyed preaching God's holy, great, wonderful word. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God for his word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the darkness could not comprehend that light. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah! Praise God. Praise God. I never cease to be amazed at the power of the Word of God. Many are trying substitutes. It's like David. We're going to kill the giant with our programs and with our talent and with our uh, abilities. And the Lord says, go ahead and try it, but you'll come back. Amen. God has chosen through the preaching of his word to save them that believe. You are a product of the word of God. Amen. And so I thank God for it. And you know when my dad would evangelize, can you believe? My mother had ten children. Eight of us lived to be grown. And he took all of his children that were alive with him everywhere he went, preaching revivals. I've changed schools eight times in one year. I don't know how I made it. I just barely made it. And it was like getting acquainted all over again and ridiculed all over again. But Dad had such a call on his life when the Lord would call him to certain places my good things would happen. 
Amen. And I really appreciate that wonderful example that he gave to us. But he loved this gospel. Coming out of the Mormon church, he learned the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, the name of Jesus. When he would get a car, it was usually the worn-out family car of a funeral home. That's all he could afford. That had the seats in the middle, you know, that fold down. When the family got in, they could raise the seats up. And uh, there was usually at least six children with mother and dad all the time, sometimes uh, eight with mother and dad. But the first thing dad would do, he would take that car down and have the printer to put signs on all of the windows. Obey Acts 2.38 and live. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he pulled a trailer with his gospel tent. We'd go into those little, through those little towns. People would rush out to the curb and try to read as we passed by. And we're sitting on the inside laughing. Here we go again. They thought a carnival had come to town. And uh, they kept looking and reading. But they always got the message. Amen. And uh, so he would... I said, now, you know, if if it had been lawful to put a scripture on the windshield, he'd have had one there too. But thank the Lord the police wouldn't let him do that. But he would take us and park that old car by the side of a brush arbor or an open-air meeting, and he would say, everyone under the sound of my voice, if you can show me anywhere in this Bible where the early church or the apostles were ever baptized in any way except the name of Jesus, I will give you that car. I thought they wouldn't be getting very much if they got it. But I could just see all of the children going down the road. I'm a little boy. Each one of us carrying our little box with what little clothes we had. and uh, But you know, no one ever came and drove that car off because the more they tried to prove that he was wrong, the stronger they came into the truth. One night, uh, one early morning, a knock on the door, the Baptist preacher in the community came by. Dad answered the door said, uh, Reverend Kilgore, I stopped by your open-air meeting last night after my service was over, and I heard you make that statement. And so, if you're an honest man, I've come to get your car. And uh, my dad said, sir, are you an honest man? I said, yes, sir. He said, come in. And dad pushed a Bible in front of him. They sat at the table. And as fast as he could turn to the scriptures about the oneness of Jesus' name, he would read it. Dad would say, now read another, now read. This went on for about 30 minutes. And finally, he just pushed the Bible back toward Dad and said, Reverend Kilgore, I want you to baptize me in Jesus' name right now. 
We do not serve God in vain. I want to tell you here tonight, we serve a God of mercy, a God of love. You may have closed the door of your mind and said it's no use. I can't make it. And uh, you have failed miserably. How many times did Jesus tell us to forgive a brother when he had failed? Seventy times seven in one day. Do you think God would ask us to do something for someone else and he wouldn't do it for us? Don't let the devil cheat you anymore. So what if you fail? Get up from there and say, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep searching. I'm going to keep living for God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. The devil has beat more people over the head because they thought they were not perfect enough or good enough. And uh, then, uh, of course, they woke up to realize that it wasn't true when they finally start living in the love of God and claiming the mercy of God. If I stood here in this pulpit tonight and told you that I had never sinned or failed, I would be telling you a lie. But Jesus said, any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so here uh, we go back to the altar again. Here I am again, Lord. He says, I ask you to come. Amen. The Lord wants us to come to him. And when we, when we strive for perfection, the Bible said, be ye perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect, he didn't mean sinless perfection. The only one that ever passed that test was Jesus Christ. Perfection for the church means completion. You have completed the plan of salvation. You have completed your walk with God. You're trying to be complete. When the church is complete, then the trumpet will sound, amen, but he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Please, Lord, don't stop working on me. I'll do better next time. So don't let the devil cheat you and beat you because you have a failing in your life. Rise above it. Get out of here tonight with a relief in your spirit. I don't have to feel guilty anymore. I've repented and repented, and I'm not going to live in guilt the rest of my life. I'm going to live in the mercy of God because that mercy endures forever, and it's right here tonight with every one of us. Thank God for his mercy. Hallelujah. God has been good to me. I could never thank him enough. I bless his name tonight. I lost my dear wife, the love of my life, 12 years ago. I've suffered a little bit every day. I go out once in a while and sit by the grave and read my Bible and talk to her. And You know, I believe the Lord let your loved ones see the good things that happen in the family. I don't think he ever ever lets 
them see anything that's unpleasant. He wipes the tears from their eyes. He will not allow them to go there again. And I really believe that he allows good loved ones on the other side to see the good things that the family does. Nothing bad. That's uh, the Kilgore philosophy. Uh, it's a pretty good philosophy. But I go there and I read my Bible and and sometimes I talk to her and and I feel relieved, feel better. But uh, I get to thinking at times, she suffered, she suffered, oh, how she suffered. Cancer in both of her lungs, and she was so sick before I could finally tell her she had to go and check everything out. And uh, Dr. Levin, who's a member of our church, called me one day and said, uh, you've got to get your family together. I, I need to meet with you at your house where your wife is. And so our family gathered around her bed, and, and Dr. Levin said, well, I, I hate to be bearer, bearer of bad news, but they have discovered a cancer in one of the lungs of your mother, your wife, and we all wept, and he wept with us very close to us. And uh, so she said, well, Dr. Levin, how long will I be able to live? And he said, well, according to the x-rays and everything, maybe, maybe six months. And so we thought we'll do a whole lot of things in six months and we'll keep trusting and praying. And I said, honey, your name will be called in prayer more times every day than anyone because this church loves you. Everybody loves you. One of the hardest working uh, preacher's wives you'd ever find anywhere. And so... We went for other x-rays, and then they discovered there was tumor in both lungs. And, uh, of course, her breathing began to shut off. She would gasp for breath. And finally, we went to the hospital, and, and the doctor there said maybe five weeks, from six months to five weeks. But uh, three weeks later... She was gone. It's been a long, long, lonely life to travel the road without a companion you've lived with for 48 years. But you know, I remember the promises of God. Amen. The dead will rise. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of a life, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. 
but thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a great getting up day. The graves will open. The dead will rise first. Then the Bible said, We that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I want you to go home and claim that promise. Whatever happens, I have a promise. I'm going to be like him someday. I'm going to see him as he is. I love Jesus, don't you? Amen. I read a little story of a little eight-year-old boy that on the streets of Chicago had his little fiddle, couldn't play, but he would strum it every day and have a little cup for money at his feet. And, of course, they would come by and give it. And a great violin man that went all over the country giving concerts, watched him for several days, and then finally one day stopped and said, Son, do you have a house? And he said, No, sir. He said, Well, where do you live? He said, I live next to the building that you see here on the ground. He said, Would you like to go to my house? And uh, he said, Well, yes. He took him into his home, let him live like his son, took care of him, and brought him, bought him a brand new violin and taught him to play. And for two or three years, every day, he would improve until he was an accomplished violinist. And then uh, they arranged a concert where he and this boy would both play and when he got through playing said now my son's going to play and he went up in the balcony to watch him the little fellow just played his heart out but he kept looking up in the balcony and uh, then when he finally finished they stood and clapped and clapped and uh, he wondered uh, what's going on Finally, the overseer said, why did you keep looking up in the balcony? All these people are cheering for you. He said, oh, I didn't even think about them cheering for me. I was looking up to see what the man thought that had taught me to play the violin. And you know, there are times we have to look up and say, I'm not doing too good. I've missed a few notes. And I don't think that I'm doing, but the Lord smiles and says, I love you. You're my child, and you don't have to worry. Everything's going to be all right. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad I serve a God like that. Let's stand to our feet. Love him again. Just pour your heart out in love to him. Praise God. Praise God. Bless his holy name.